All right, everybody, welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I am Travis Polly, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. We're back after a break. Yes. Wes McAdams. Hey, it's, Wes. It's been not only a break from publishing the podcast, but yeah. a, even a break from even more of a break of you and I recording together. For sure. We had some other guests and different things, and so, yeah, yeah it's good to be back with Travis. The new season. Yes, a new season of the Bible Study Podcast, and yeah. I want to say, before we jump into this podcast, about yeah. since, maybe since we've recorded, oh. you've started another podcast. That's right. The No Man's Land the Podcast. The No Man's Land Podcast. And so Thanks I do want to plug. plug that as well. So, yeah, good. check that one out as well. If if you've ever sat and listened to Travis for 30 or 45 minutes and thought, you know what, I wish I could listen to Travis for an hour or two and other guests, um, then you're you're in luck. There's because, loads of content. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I really, I honestly, it, it just started being published yeah, on I, Apple Podcasts. That's which right. Which is where I listen to podcasts. And that's I was like, right. yes. And so now I've started to, to listen. Well, I'm awesome. mostly through the first episode. So <laughs> I just started. So anyway, but it's really, really good. And I'm, I'm really excited about it for you. So, Me too. Um, so yeah, check out the No Man's Land podcast on check it out. Apple, Spotify, YouTube. That's right. Cool. Yeah, we even video for that one as well. Nice. Yeah. If you prefer the video. Yeah. Nice. Fantastic. Well, for this discussion... I have been thinking about an article for a while that I read. Um, it was published in May, I believe, May of 2021. Mm. And the title from Christianity Today is Proof That Political Privilege is Harmful for Christianity. Mm. Proof That Political Privilege is Harmful for Christianity. So we're going to violate two of the rules of things not to talk about politics and we always talk about religion, but yeah. we're going to talk about religion and politics today. That's unless there's a mic on and it's recorded. Oh, and then you can, and oh, you can talk about good anything. good to then. know. <laughs> I did not realize that. Okay, good. Um, so we are going to talk about politics and Christianity, um, but but it's something that I've always sort of anecdotally felt was true mm-hmm. and historically felt was true. I felt like just from studying Christian history, that from the time of Constantine, from the time that Christianity gained imperial acceptance, right. political acceptance, state acceptance, um, and was privileged by the state, um, it changed, it mm-hmm. morphed, it it became something that was a perversion of right. what it was supposed to be. And, and so there is this very interesting study. Again, it's uh, this article is a discussion of the study uh, that was put out not too long ago. And again, the, the title, we'll link to this in the podcast notes, but it's proof that political privilege is harmful for Christianity. And here's sort of how it's summed up. Um, they did a statistical analysis of a global sample of 166 countries from 2010 to 2020. So they looked at the years 2010 to 2020 of 166 countries, and they really were looking at is Christianity, and of course, throughout this podcast, we're going to use Christianity in a very broad sense. Right. Um, so if that bothers you, you can stop now. But um, broadly speaking, they looked at Christianity in these 166 countries and said, is it growing or is it declining? Are mm. the numbers of Christians in these countries growing, increasing, or decreasing? So they looked at 166 countries from 2010 to 2020, and they said that we find that the most important de- uh, 
determinant of Christian vitality is the extent to which governments give official support to Christianity through their law and their laws and policies. Um, and so, what they're saying is that the 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 um, extent to which governments give official support to Christianity through laws and policies mm-hmm. is actually one of the most detrimental things to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it isn't the direction that most people would think. Uh, they go on to say, as governmental support for Christianity increases, as it increases, so the government is more supportive of Christianity, the number of Christians declines significantly. I mean, that... Again, we love to talk about paradoxes on this Bible right. study podcast, and this and and in fact, the the data will be broken out into three different paradoxes, which we'll talk about probably in this episode and in the next episode. Um, but it, it does seem to be paradoxical that mm. government support for Christianity increases, meanwhile, the number of Christians declines significantly. And they said this relationship holds even when accounting for other factors that might be driving Christian growth rates, such as overall demographic trends. So in spite of demographic trends, in spite of other things, they said statistically, according to this statistical analysis, and I'm not a statistician, but so if you want to argue with the the data, you'll have to go and talk to them. I don't know. But uh, according to this data, what they're saying is that this isn't just a correlation, mm. that it's actually causation. Sure. That when the government is supportive, like specifically supportive of Christianity and puts right. in place policies and different things to bolster Christianity, to support Christianity, the number of Christians in that country declines. Right. Um, and again, we, we might sort of wrap our he- heads around that and ask, why is that? Why is it that as far as being robust and healthy and vital um, and growing, why is it that government support of Christianity would cause us not to be those things, not to be right. healthy, not to be have vitality, not to grow? Um, and so so the authors of this article, and I think this is really interesting, um, they break it out into three paradoxes. And that's what I want to discuss over the next two weeks is uh, the first one is the paradox of pluralism. The second is the paradox of privilege. And then the third one is the paradox of persecution. And I love alliteration, so that helps too. But the paradox of pluralism, the paradox of uh, privilege and the paradox of persecution. So the first one is the paradox of pluralism. And and they start that section of the article by saying, many Christians believe that the best way for Christianity to thrive is to shut out all other religions. Ironically, though, Christianity is often the strongest in countries where it has to compete with other faith traditions on an equal playing field. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, they compare it to free market economics sure. that 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 companies and markets and businesses do better when they have to compete in the in the free market in the open market as opposed to the government runs everything and there's one butcher and there's one dairy and there's one and it's all state run right. it's not going to probably it's not going to be as good because they don't have to compete with each other right there's no and there's it, no incentive to make it better exactly and so their argument is that when Christians have to compete for in the marketplace of ideas that they are more healthy, more robust, can can make the case for faith mm. better in a f- 
free market of ideas where everyone is on an equal playing field, where the state doesn't say, well, our official religion is Christianity. This right. is especially true in, uh, in the European continent. Mm-hmm. So throughout Europe and throughout the history of Europe, Christianity has been and continues to be uh, right. within a lot of these countries, continues to be the state-favored religion. And in those countries, Christianity does not fare as well as in countries where the state does not favor Christianity and where right. every religious group is is free or as or as equally free to to put forth their ideas and 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 make their arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it says context of pluralism forces Christians to present the best arguments possible for their beliefs, even as other faith traditions are forced to do the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christians have to have a deep knowledge of their beliefs and to defend them in the marketplace of ideas. Um, and, and I think what this study sort of draws out um, and kind of uh, proves um, statistically, is that it is an unhealthy thing for Christianity to rely upon, in this case, the state, but I would argue on anything other than Jesus and the Spirit. And that when sure. Christians are forced by their circumstances to rely on Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father, then we are healthier, we are more robust, we are, we are what we're supposed to be. And of course, this is, this is the way the early Christians were. They, they didn't, none of them existed, whether they were in Israel, and were, we'll talk about persecution later, right. but certainly the, the, religious, uh, the religious leaders of Israel didn't support, as from a governmental standpoint, didn't support Christianity. Right. And, and even in the Greco-Roman world, they weren't supported by the state. It wasn't for hundreds of years before Christianity began to gain state acceptance and the, the powers that be, the establishment, mm-hmm. promoted and supported Christianity. In the early years, when the church grew like a wildfire, when it exploded on the scene, it was in the context of pluralistic societies where there were all kinds of ideas. Paul shows up in Athens and he says that people at the Areopagus, they love to do nothing more than just talk about ideas and they just love new ideas and let's all talk about different things. And this was the world in in which Christianity exploded on the scene. And ironically, it's still happening across the world right now in countries that are pluralistic in mm-hmm. pluralistic just means there isn't one way of thinking. There isn't one religion. There right. is a plurality of religious ideas in countries where there, there really is a plurality of religious ideas. And that, that's not, there's a difference. I think we have to kind of stop and say there's a difference between a pluralistic society and being pluralistic. Sure. It's not to say that that Christians should accept every idea as being true and valid. Right. Obviously we don't. You can't be a Christian and be pluralistic and think every idea is equally valid, but we can say Christianity thrives in places where every idea has to compete sure. to say what really is true. And yeah. so they give 10 examples uh, or 10 countries that are the fastest growing, that have the fastest growing Christian populations. 
So those are Tanzania, Malawi, Zambia, Uganda, Rwanda, Madagascar, Liberia, Kenya, uh, Congo, and Angola. Um, obviously, most of those are in Africa. And most of those, all but three of those, have... Um, most of the oh sorry most of those have no or very low official support of christianity mm. so nine or sorry is that right um so there's 10 seven seven out of the 10 have low to no official support for christianity hmm. and so the 10 countries where christian where the christian population is the fastest growing are in countries that have little to no support from the government what would you? What do you mean by no support? Well, that that can like they're range. actively persecuting. That would be the one end, right? right. Yeah, exactly. That so that would be yeah an extreme example of right. no support. But but low support or even no support could be things like churches don't get any sort of tax breaks. Sure, churches don't. Um, they're not recognized as as being any sort of privileged group. Right. Um, you know, like in the United States. Sure. We're somewhere in the middle Tax between exemptions, right exactly. Like we have all yeah. sorts of of support, but we really have tended to be a very pluralistic society in oh, yeah, in the, the United States. Yeah. Right, because we we give all kinds of nonprofits mm -hmm. and all kinds of religious groups this similar types of tax breaks and those kinds of things. There are mm -hmm. some who would like and this is where we could get into some tension. There are some that would like the United States to push out, and we'll talk about that in, in the next section, push out some of these other religious groups and mm. say, no, Christianity should be the only group mm. to receive support from the government or to receive privileges from the government or to receive sort of extra protections from the government. Um, and these are countries where that's not the case, where Christianity gets no extra protection, they get no extra privileges, they get no extra tax breaks. And these are the countries, seven out of 10 of the countries where Christianity is the fastest growing or has the fastest growing Christian population, mm -hmm. these countries, for the most part, don't give any extra support uh, to Christians. Right. And, and there, there are other examples as well. Um, I don't think Korea was on the list, um, but there's a huge population um, in, in Christianity. In fact, it says that uh, South Korea currently ranks as the second largest sender of missionaries, trailing only the United States. Wow. It's amazing to me. That, That's really cool. Right, absolutely. And again, a country with little to no support uh, officially from the state, um, from the government. Uh, it says that uh, Korea is about, the, is about a third of the country is Christian, or claims Christianity wow. in, in Korea. Um, it says that uh, 700 million Christians uh, live in Africa. Uh, ten, wow. 10 countries noted above with the fastest growing Christian populations in the world from 2010 to 2020 are all located in sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. So, so this is where I, th I think we just have to stop and say, this is where Christianity is growing. Christianity mm. isn't growing. Um, and we'll talk about that in the next one in countries where they receive state support. They're growing in country. It's growing in countries where it's not. And, and again, I think when we, when we go to Scripture, we have to ask ourselves, why did Jesus and the apostles never fight to stomp out any other religious group? 
They never said, okay, our job is to take over Rome, and then once we take over Rome, then we'll, we'll make sure there aren't any more Jews, we'll make sure there aren't any more pagans, we'll, we'll demolish. Why did they never storm into the temple and try to retake the temple for Christianity? Why did they never pull down the altars of Zeus or Diana or whatever? Instead, they preached the gospel. And in fact, I mean, it's it's... It's amazing to listen to some of the words and, and think about the pluralistic society in which they lived. Uh, when Paul writes to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse, verses 4 and 5, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Mm. So he's like, we're not waging war that way. The way we're waging war is through our arguments, mm. is through destroying the lies, destroying the deception through right. the preaching of the truth. And, and it's that preaching of the truth that happens robustly in environments where we have to know what do you believe and why do you believe it? Mm. It's not just, there was a time in most Western countries where Nobody had to argue for Christianity because everybody ascribed to, quote unquote, some form of Christianity. Sure. And so nobody had to know, why do you believe what you believe and how can you make a case for that? Mm. But in countries where there is no state support, Christians have to know what they believe and they have to be able to present those ideas both in in reasonable ways that make sense to people and in winsome ways. They mm -hmm. have to be able to tell them the truth in a way that attracts people and says, there's something about this, this Christianity thing. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about one thing from that, from that data. One thing that struck me was in a lot of cases, this is also new, like Christianity mm -hmm. is new for yeah. so many people. Yeah. yeah. You know, they haven't necessarily certainly not in, uh, in, it's not been in their public consciousness mm -hmm. for any long period of time. And certainly individuals being, uh, being introduced to it may never have even heard right. the name of Jesus. Right. And I know that's a, in, a, in a lot of cases, the case in China right now, mm -hmm. where there's such a fast growing, yes. uh, Christian population and it's actively persecuted, right, right. which is, you know, adds an, another level of like kind of awe right. as to that happening and, and awe of the spirit working there. Um, I was also thinking, uh, as we were going through some of this, I was thinking about, um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, about how the Old Testament is such a, <laughs> it's such a model for us, you know, because the New Testament takes place over the span of a couple decades, mm -hmm. basically. The Old Testament has is such a span of time yeah. following God's chosen people. Right. And I was thinking about, you know, you and I have talked about this, probably talked about the podcast before, but the concept of idolatry, you know, the constant struggle throughout mm -hmm. the Old Testament that they were, you know, they they knew they were the chosen people. They, mm -hmm. in some sense or another, they passed that down generation mm -hmm. to generation. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't so much that they forgot about God. Mm -hmm. It was about that they started putting other things in God's place. Mm -hmm. Because maybe it was because the truth becomes stale. Maybe it's because, you know, when, I mean, I experienced this, you know, something jumps out at me more and more lately about, oh, I haven't thought about that concept in Scripture since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And that's when I go, oh, that's that's dangerous. Yeah, Because you're, you know, you, you, you're not, you're not actually being transformed by something that, you know, I, I believe is true. I, yeah. I claim to be true. Yeah. But then it can, you know, when you've just had it 
always yeah. when it's in your public consciousness mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. i think that definitely contributes yeah. to you know when something's new it's it's all new mm-hmm. it's all new but when something has been not only in your you know whether you grew up going to church or not it's been in your you know you've been aware of it for your whole life but also it's it's in the pop culture mm-hmm. it's in you know there's nobody there's nobody saying you can't talk about it mm-hmm. even if there's derision and there's you know people you know, I mean, it's it's no secret that often pop culture can, you know, treat Christianity and, and other faiths, sure. but faith, maybe faith in general, but and because of the predominance of Christianity, it definitely right. gets picked on the most. Right, right. We're a big target. Big target yeah. for, you know, derision and just, you know, treating it like it's a joke. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I think, I, I was also thinking about this, it's almost, it reminds me almost of like political arguments that you can have with people that... I think one of the things that's so hard about establishing any, you know, if you're arguing with someone politically, it's so hard to establish any credibility with each other because you're both just using your, you know, your buzzwords and language mm-hmm. that that you both already have associations with. So you're not actually ever talking about the same thing. Yeah, you're you're, you're talking about two fundamentally different mm-hmm. values, and I think that happens a lot with Christianity because in 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 places where it's it's widely known because well you've already heard all of these stories even mm-hmm. if you haven't mm-hmm. <laughs> you've sort of you know the language that's mm-hmm. used to talk about them you know the attitudes that people have when they approach them and and I think that can uh, you know a, as a christian that that makes me sometimes cynical when i mm-hmm. see when i see christianity pop up in ways that i've seen a thousand times yeah. you know it's not new it's yeah. not it, it doesn't seem to be really capturing the truth, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that's I think that's true. I think that when there's a lack of freshness, right, um, and it it doesn't seem as fresh, it seems stale, mm. uh, and and there could be a lot of reasons that the story of scripture goes stale. But when when you're introduced to it for the first time, there's an excitement to yeah, it. There's it's a, a great story, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I think that I think that too often it, it becomes stale. So it's. It's awesome to look at some of these countries and some of these examples yeah. to see that the story of Jesus and the Spirit of God working through that truth, it's changing people's lives. It's mm-hmm. bringing people to Christ the same way that it did in the book of Acts, the same way that it always has when the truth is is proclaimed in all of its beauty and glory. And when it's lived out by people, then it, it changes people's lives. And I think understanding that there's a paradox to pluralism um, is really important for us because we can we can be okay with with the fact that we live in a country where there are other ideas we can be okay with that instead of trying to force everybody no no, no stop don't 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 you know it's like no, no no listen the truth doesn't need to fear examination if it's right. true then we can talk about it we can examine it we can think about it we can we can compare it to other things and the truth will always be the truth and the truth will always defeat the lies the light will always overtake the darkness i think about passages like first peter chapter 3 and He's talking about living in a in a society that's hostile even towards the faith. But he says, mm-hmm. even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Mm-hmm. 
And I love both of those. Sometimes we stop at always be prepared to make an answer and we forget the gentleness and respect thing. Like I don't have to stop someone from being a pagan. I don't have to stop somebody from being a Hindu. I don't have to stop somebody from being a Buddhist. I don't have to stop somebody from being a Jewish. I I just have to tell them, why do I have hope in Jesus? And and I don't have to force them to, well, you're going to be a Christian whether you like it or not, or you're going to keep those ideas that you have to yourself. That always goes well. Right, exactly. It doesn't. And that's the whole thing is that by trying to have Christianity only be be the only idea then we're actually doing a disservice to the gospel and to Christianity. We'll talk more about that in part two of of this first episode. We talk about the parody of privilege. But I think first, we just have to talk about that parody of pluralism and just Mm. acknowledge, uh, not parody, uh, um, uh, Paradox. Paradox. Thank you. Paradox. I might. My, I was really looking my forward notes, to the parody. Of... Par- parody. <laughs> my Y look like, or my X look like a Y. And I was like, parody. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The paradox. The paradox of pluralism. Yeah. And just kind of let that sink in that Christianity is growing in, in unprecedented ways in pluralistic cultures where there are lots of competing ideas mm. and it's growing faster there in pluralistic cultures where there are lots of competing ideas than it is growing in other places. So we could rejoice that people are hearing the good news about Jesus. And and as we look at our own culture and it's becoming more pluralistic, I think, I think hopefully there could be a contentment that settles in and say, you know what, of course I don't want anybody else. <laughs> I want everybody to be a Christian. Of course right. I do. This is the truth. But I can... I can have peace and I don't have to be anxious. And over and over again, Jesus tells us, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. And so often we get fearful. We get afraid. We get angry when we see culture becoming more pluralistic, more ideas being shared. And where are all these ideas coming from? And these new ideas and those new ideas. And it's like, it's okay. The cream will always rise to the top. The truth will always overcome. Jesus has and will always be victorious. So maybe that's a good place for us to take a break. Let's take a break. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, well... I, again, the last, the last part was about the par- paradox, paradox, parody, the paradox of pluralism mm-hmm. that in pluralistic cultures, and again, we're not promoting the idea that every idea is equally valid or equally true, right. but that in societies where every idea can compete uh, for prominence, compete yeah. for acceptance, Christianity actually does the best. Well, and I was thinking about that as we were getting to the close to the break. It reminds me of the story of Elijah on the mountain. Yes. And they're, 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 once and for all, we're going to settle who's God. Is yeah. it Baal or yeah. is it God? And he, you know, you see him up there completely comfortable with, yes. oh, make your show. Right. You know, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm happy to let, you know, and he even goes so far as to joke around about it. Right. Um, 
because he knows God's going to show up. Absolutely. And like you said, he knows that the cream's going to rise to the top. Yes. There, there has to be a piece that says yeah. God is God. Even if nobody believes it, even mm-hmm. if nobody accepts it, even if there's a million other ideas out there, God is still God and the gospel is still the truth. Um, but then the second one is sort of the inverse of this is that there's a paradox of privilege. So mm-hmm. not only does the gospel spread the, the fastest, it would seem, in cultures that are pluralistic, but actually the inverse is true, that when countries give extra special support to Christianity, it actually declines. So it actually is detrimental to Christianity for it to receive state support. Um, And again, most of this focuses on countries in Europe um, that have, again, America, the United States, and sometimes we talk about and debate the idea of separation of church and state. This is actually why this exists, because countries in Europe for a lot of countries in Europe have had state churches. Mm -hmm. So there might be other churches that are not state sponsors, but there's also like in, in um, there's the Greek Orthodox church, there's Russian Orthodox church. So there's a lot of Orthodox Eastern Orthodox churches, but then there are also Catholic states, right? There's in England, you've got the church of England. Um, In fact, to this day, the queen of England is the the head of the, of the, uh, I didn't know that was still going on. Yeah. Of the church of England. So, um, and, and and what we see that has happened in Europe and continues to happen, that as they receive, as Christianity receives state support, mm. it actually leads to and causes secularization. So it says, this study says that their study argues that the secularization of Europe stems centrally from the widespread support given to Christianity by the state. It says that these state churches have become lethargic as they depend on the state for their sustenance. Mm. And again, I think that's a perfect word, lethargic. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me that when you depend on the government's power and the government's strength to support you, as opposed to depending on the power of Jesus and the power of the Spirit and the power of the gospel itself— the, the more you depend on the state, the more lethargic you become and you right. become comfortable. You're, you're not trying to spread Christianity through the proclamation of the gospel and through the discussion and, and comparing of ideas. Right. You're, you're trying to spread through Christianity through policies and through laws and, and let's change the laws let's, and let's get more support. And, and what we need now is, is for Christianity to be more supported and we need more tax breaks and more whatever. We need to make this a Christian nation. Right. But the more, quote unquote, Christian nation a nation becomes— the more secularized it becomes, and the and Christianity in that place becomes more and more lethargic. And again, all we have to do is look at Europe. That nine out of the ten. Let me see the stats on this. Um, uh, says that nine of the ten countries with the fastest declining Christian populations. So the ten countries with the fastest declining Christian populations of those ten, nine of them offer moderate to high levels of official support for Christianity. Um, it might be that they, um, they're they actually persecuting other religious groups like Muslims or Hindus right. or Buddhists or Jews, and they're, they're actually discouraging them from setting up places of worship in their country, mm-hmm. um, that they're not giving those people tax breaks, but they're giving extra support, targeted support, um, that there is... 
often a, a lot of Christian symbolism in their government, in, right. in what they're doing. Again, you could look at several different heads of state that are also heads of their state churches. Mm. And in these countries, here's the, the list of the 10 countries, uh, the Czech Republic, Bulgaria, Latvia, Estonia, Albania. Albania is the one that doesn't re- receive much uh, state support. Moldova, Serbia, Germany, Lithuania, Hungary. These are very secular countries. Mm-hmm. And ironically, they're not just secular. They're also countries where they are Christian nations. Right. They are nations that have official state churches or where the state gives a high level of support to Christianity. So we in the United States, we may look and say, well, we, we should want that. Like we should want more support, like give, mm. give Christianity more direct influence and support give us more power and the more state support we receive the more we'll grow and the more we'll we'll be effective well statistically and i think we could argue too just uh, from the new testament that that's not actually a good thing that's not actually that doesn't help the church to grow in fact it actually causes the church to become lethargic mm. and to become something other than what it was intended to be we see this again in rome when the roman empire fell and eventually rose up as the Holy Roman Empire, and that right. led to the Catholic Church and you know, the, the spread of Christianity through the, wor- the world, and you have um, the, the Crusades and all these things. And it's like this became something very different than right. we read about in the book of Acts. And a lot of that can go back to whether or not the church is competing in this very organic way of spreading the good news to people and proclaiming the lordship of Jesus, or whether they are depending on Caesar, on Rome, right. on on the state, on the government to support them and prop them up and give them sort of an advantage or give them privileges in the society. And we see that the privileges that come with political power mm. are actually detrimental to Christianity. Sure. Yeah. No, I think one thing I, I got to thinking about is because I guess if I think about where we are right now and how I would think about this in terms of well, how much support or you know do we do we get do we want you know how what are we pushing for in that regard I would say personally I would be like well it'd be great if they could just stay out of the way mm-hmm. right <laughs> you know because you know I, I think like you said we have centuries now we have well over a thousand years of what happens when we you know you have the holy roman empire when you have you know you have this sort of uh, nominally christian government nominally christian that's a great way and then in your pews you get a lot of nominal christians yep um, or maybe not even in your pews. Maybe not. They just don't show yeah, up. They it, just say, I'm well, a Christian. I think but eventually, I right? That's exactly it, right. all, always the trend you yep. see. Uh, and I think you see that in Europe now. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's just. Church attendance is almost nil. Mm-hmm. Even though they're, quote unquote, a Christian nation in some of these cases. Oh, yeah. They're it's basically very, no church attendance. Very atheistic and yes, very secular. Societies. Yeah. And, and some people that are both atheists and church members. Right. My sister was a, a missionary in Scotland, a, a missionary it's in the Europe. Tradition. Uh, right, right, exactly. Right. So they were both church members and unbelievers. Right. And and maybe didn't see any disparity with that because that's where that's where births happen. That's where christenings happen. That's oh, where yeah. weddings I, I happen. That's know where some funerals folks like that happen. In, in the United States, right? I mean. Absolutely. And so the more it becomes 
intertwined mm. with society, with the government, with just the way things work politically, right. the less it becomes something that is a personal faith in Jesus and discipleship. Yeah, so I think on the one hand, you see what happens down that road. And then on the other, it seems masochistic to almost want want persecution or, right. or, no, or want yeah. anything like You're that. Right. So I guess as far as what you could hope for would be, you know, let's just go our separate ways. Let's yeah. let the church right. survive on its, you know, like right. we've been talking about, right. on God and the Spirit, right. and and the church's members that, you know, will determine, well, how hard are we going to work to spread the gospel? Yeah. How how much does it does it matter to us? Right. And, and then I, I also think that, you know, kind of going back to that idea of idolatry, that I think there's, there's, especially here, you know, thinking about the U.S., there are so many things competing for our attention. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think that's something we think about all the time mm-hmm. is how do you break through the politics, the mm-hmm. ideology, mm-hmm. the just, you know, even more innocuous distraction, or seemingly innocuous distractions of, you know, social media and just mm-hmm. all, I mean, at the end of the day, you only have so much time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of us might be more inclined to, th- you know, to read and to, or, or to think deeply about our faith or, mm-hmm. and, and, and things like that. But I think at the end of the day, well, we all have the same amount of time in the day mm-hmm. and it's how much are you going to devote to that? Right. And then, and because I think, I, I think that's one of the things I, I, I have come to appreciate so much about the Old Testament is that you can kind of read it. And I know I read it as a kid as like, well, idolatry was this arcane, you know, uh, problem that they had at that time. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm, it's anything that, it's right there in the Ten Commandments. It's yeah. anything that you put ahead of God. Yeah. It's anything you put ahead of, you know, what what should be most important. And yeah. I think when you see people, when you see, you know, in those lethargic mm-hmm. societies, Christian societies, Christian, uh, quote unquote, Christian societies, and, and you see people, Christianity, like you said, it becomes more of a tradition. It becomes more mm-hmm. of just, it's something you do, yeah. even if you personally believe yeah. there is no God and right. all this. Um, it, it's just, I guess, I don't know, I guess it's a nice thing to bring yeah. the family together or, yeah. so, or, or, or something like that, but yeah. it's not something you actually take seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that happens when you've, 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 You've got a lot of other things competing for your attention. Well, I, and I love that you're bringing up idolatry and the Old Testament because that's exactly what it is. And and it's a it's a shift. Idolatry is a shift in allegiance. Mm-hmm. It's who to whom do you look for protection? Right. To whom do you look to provide? So protection and providence. Who who are you looking to to provide for you and to protect you? And a good metaphor for that is marriage. That, that when a woman and Israel was always compared to God's wife and the church is compared right. to the bride of Jesus. Yeah. And so a woman looked to, especially in that culture, looked to her husband to provide for her and protect her. Those were his jobs to nourish her, to love her, to take care of her, to provide for her. And and recently in a sermon on, on James chapter four, and we'll get to that in a second, I said, you know, men, how would you feel if your wife said to you, you know, honey, I... I 
I still love you and I'm still committed to you, but I really hope we have a big, strong neighbor man move in next door because I really want him to provide for me and I want him to protect me. We're really vulnerable right now and we're probably going to be destroyed if we don't have a big, strong neighbor man move in. And I'm really, I'm going to love him too also so that he provides for me and protects me. We would call that adultery. And that's exactly what the Bible calls it, that the the idolatry and right. adultery of Israel wasn't just that they were bowing down to statues, is that they were looking to other nations. Sometimes it was Egypt, sometimes it was Assyria, sometimes it was Babylon, sometimes it was Rome, and they were looking to these other kings and empires and, and armies to protect them and provide for them, that if we give our allegiance to them, they'll provide for us. Even in the case of looking for a king for Israel, they they said to Samuel, give us a king. And God said, you already have a king. It's me. I'm your king. And they're they're looking to become the bride of other gods and Mm. other nations and other kings in order to get what those gods or kings can provide for them and and how they can protect them. And, and in exchange, they're giving them their love. And God over and over again calls that adultery. Interestingly, in James, he says the exact same thing to the church. Um, he's t- he's, James is a book that's written to proud people, to proud Christians, mm-hmm. and to socially mobile Christians, Christians who want to climb the social ladder. And James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. And in the previous chapter, he had just talked about selfish ambition and jealousy and coveting. And he says, you desire and you don't have. So you murder, you covet and you can't obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. So he's saying you're, you're, you're so ambitious and you want so much and you don't, you're not relying on God. You're relying on yourself to get all of this stuff. And you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Then he says in verse four, you adulterous people, this really strong language, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, what we don't understand in our modern context is the idea of friendship, that in the ancient Roman, Greco-Roman world, friendship was a social contract. Mm. So it wasn't just, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm friends with that guy. It was that we have a friendship. Mm. We have a partnership in some way so that I scratch his back and he scratches mine. And I'm going to build a relationship with this person because he can provide for me in this way or that way. And so right. they would build social alliances. And James says, you are wanting the protection and the providing of the world. You want the world to provide for you and protect you, and you are giving them your allegiance and your loyalty so that they provide for you and protect you. That's adultery. And when you try to be friends with the world and and love up to the world so that they provide for you and protect you, you are making yourself an enemy of God. And I think we have to recognize that, that so often I hear Christians, I I don't personally think it's a sin to vote. But I do think it's a sin to say the church is going to be destroyed if so-and-so doesn't become the the president, as if 
It's some Messiah figure, and that's how we're treating them, right. some Messiah figure who is going to provide for and protect the church. The church doesn't need, I'm going to say this as strongly as possible, the church does not need presidential protection. The church does not need governmental protection. The church does not need Senate protection. The church does not need uh, the protection of the Supreme Court. The church does not need does not need the protection of anybody because we have the protection of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And for us to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love, I'm going to give my loyalty and allegiance to whoever will provide for me and protect me, mm-hmm. th- James says that's adultery. And you're seeking the world's providence and the world's protection, and you need to stop, and you need to rely on God. He says you don't, a- you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives because of your ambition and your jealousy. And I think there's an extremely strong warning there to us. And I think we see it all across the world that when the world gives their love, their allegiance, their loyalty to the state, to Caesar, to Rome, to Babylon, to whatever, then we're looking to the state to provide and protect, and we're no longer looking to God to provide and protect. We, we can be okay being a minority. We can be okay being in a position where we're not favored, where we're not protected. That's not the, it, it will never be the first time for the church. From the very beginning, that's the way it's been. Right. And there's this paradox that when we look to the world for protection, then we decline. And when we say, listen, we, we're going stri- to thrive and we're going to survive in whatever environment we're in, we're going to continue to preach the gospel, even if there's a million other ideas and there's a million other religions, the cream's still going to rise to the top. We're still right. going to be, tr- this is still going to be the truth. When we do that, it forces us to rely on the spirit. It forces us to rely on God and other people recognize that. Even people that don't believe what we believe look and say, what is the reason for the hope that's within you? Mm. Why do you still hope you're a minority? Why do you still hope nobody likes you? Why do you still hope you don't have political protection? Why do you still hope you don't have friends in high places? Yes, I do. I have the friends in the very highest places. I have friendship with God. Mm. And that is all we need. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And friendship with God means I don't need the world's protection. And and that actually attracts the world to us because there is a supernatural confidence that we have. Eventually their friends run out. Right, right, exactly. And I think that's what you, I think, I have to believe that's at least part of what you're seeing in that data about where Christianity is growing so fast is, well, these are tumultuous places. Yes. And Christianity has always thrived in, in, yes. those, in those times. You know, I was also thinking how this plays out practically and personally, you know, on the, you could say the lowest of levels. Uh, and I guess by that, I just mean like daily. I had, I had a, not that long ago. And I honestly wish I could remember the exact situation. I just remember I was stressed out about something and I found myself doing every little thing I could do. Okay. I'm going to try this over here and then just plan B. I'm going to go do this. Plan C. I mean, I mean, I remember it was like I did four or five things for whatever it was uh, that was stressing me out, and then I thought to pray. Mm. And I went, That's right. I don't like that. Yeah. And then and now it's started to make me think. I, I caught myself this morning. I woke up, and then I immediately started doing something I had to do. And I went, Wait a minute. It'd be better to pray first, mm-hmm. right? 
it'd be better to start that way. Mm -hmm. Because again, like you were saying about even like voting, it's like, you know, saying that it's wrong to do that, that it's not, that's wrong to be involved in the community and society and politics, whatever. But where's the first, where's the first checkpoint? Right. Right. Where's the first place you go? Where are you putting your confidence? And where maybe the last place you go too? like, where, where's the, yeah. Where are you putting your confidence? Like, you know, and, and, and that was what really hit home to me in that situation where I was stressed out. It was like, you just had four or five things that you could do. And, and whatever it was, I, I I don't have to remember what it was to know. It was like, well, you got yourself into this situation probably. Mm-hmm. So then you're going to rely on yourself mm-hmm. first and mm-hmm. foremost. Yeah, There may be some things that you have to do. There may be th- ways that you need to get involved in mm-hmm. society that you feel called to, mm-hmm. to get involved. Sure. But where's the first place that you put your allegiance? Where's yep. the first place that you that you check in? Yeah. yeah, I think again in the next episode we'll talk about the paradox of persecution. Mm-hmm. But but I want to end this part by by thinking about Romans chapter eight, mm-hmm. uh, Ephesians chapter six. I mean, this is the whole point that are we engaged in a spiritual battle? Yes. Yeah. But so often when we talk to Christians about there's a spiritual war going on, they get all tense and anxious and yeah there's a spiritual war going on and we got to fight and we got to win it's like whoa 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 the fact that we're in a spiritual battle should give you incredible confidence because yeah. we have a spiritual god who has already promised us victory and so when yeah. we read Ephesians 6 if we read that coming across like oh we need to be upset and nervous and whatever it's like no put on the full armor of god and then you can stand and then he ends that portion talking about wearing that spiritual armor by saying pray in the spirit Mm-hmm. Think, isn't it amazing how even in prayer we still rely on ourselves? We want oh, to yeah. know what to pray and how to pray, and I'm afraid right. I'm praying wrong, and I got to pray the right way and say all the right words. I forgot and, something. And <laughs> Romans eight and Ephesians six, it's like no, the Spirit intercedes yeah. for us. We have nothing to fear. And I think these paradoxes—the paradox of pluralism, the paradox of uh, privilege—I think it's a reminder that we, if we have God. If we have Jesus, if we have the Spirit, we are already victorious and we have nothing to fear. And the church that has that kind of confidence is unstoppable. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Polly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.